Hey everyone, I wanted to start this episode off by telling you a little bit about my Patreon and the current resources available on that platform. Grief is a huge topic, and I thought it deserved so much more than one Mental Health Monday. So, I decided to do a 21-day Advent Journal prompt. My hope is that these prompts help us process all of the loss that has happened this year for a more hopeful future. For more on this, head to patreon.com slash Gaminas. That was the first time my whole climbing experience where I felt like really strong, tight-knit community where people were looking out for each other. We always say, I love you when we say goodbye. And we always say goodbye. Like, we don't, I might not, you know, like we didn't say that to Callie, you know, and we thought we were going to see her. My name is Grizel, and this is Underneath It All, a podcast that tells the stories of everyday people who have or currently are experiencing mental health difficulties and how the outdoors have influenced them. Although I am a therapist, these conversations should not be confused as therapy sessions, but instead open conversations about mental health. My hope is that through these stories, you can have a better understanding of others around you, learn to accept and fully embrace your own narrative, and to continue breaking the negative stigma that has engulfed mental health. I met Megan in February of 2020, before everything you are about to hear. It's kind of funny how we met, actually. I was living in the van full-time with Eric, and we were just settled in a small climbing area in Colorado called Shelf Road. We had just started getting into climbing, and we had heard so many good things about the amount of sport climbing there was, and there was so much sport climbing. One day, as we were walking out to our beginner crag, there was this girl who had this epic bird shirt. I think it was super bright red, but I may be wrong. There was so much energy in that shirt, and so casually, or maybe not so casual, I was like, yo, that's a rad shirt. And she was like, thanks, dude, it's my bird shirt. Hours later, I received a message on Instagram, and it was Bird Girl, aka Megan. We talked back and forth for a while, but then, like many of us, I learned that Megan lost a lot in the year 2020. And after hearing her story, I realized, shit, Whether we want to believe it or not, most of us are grieving right now. To be honest, I wanted you to run away from this topic because death and loss makes me extremely uncomfortable. I have an intense fear of death complex thing. But that fear shouldn't hold me back because the reality is we are all going to die. People we love are going to die. People we have loved aren't with us anymore. The conversation you're about to hear is of two people who are simply trying to process grief after the tragic loss of two beautiful lives. Callie Ann Rittman and Tom Wright. My name is Megan Yingling. I am a climbing guide based out of Estes Park, Colorado, and that kind of leans into what I love to do is I, I love to rock climb since like a very young age. I found a gym right across from my middle school. Going to school in Gunnison, Colorado, which is a really like big mecca for outdoor 
more adventurous style of climbing and then just kind of falling in love with kind of just taking other people out and going into wild places. That is like what sets my heart on fire. Like the backcountry? Yeah, you know, just I think that's why climbing has been so special to me, and especially in like wild places like the Black Canyon or, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, where you go places that not a lot of people get to go. It takes a lot of not just like, you know, physical strength, but a lot of, you know, skill and, you know, mental fortitude and practice and time to be able to like get yourself in these places that are just really, really beautiful. Were you doing that at a young age, like going to wild places and climbing? Or when did you start going into the backcountry? Absolutely not. I was a gym climber from like, I guess I started climbing in sixth grade and then was a gym climber for 10 years. So I competed until I was 18. What was your childhood like as far as, I mean, you had an avenue expression to a, a point, right? But as far as like your mental health, what was your upbringing like? I found that climbing gym like right in the time where I needed it the most. And I think that's why I've like fell in love with climbing the way that I did. I grew up with definitely a lot of like mental health issues. Like I was diagnosed with conduct disorder at age two. It was kind of like a fun anecdote now because, you know, I think most two-year-olds fit like the, you know, criteria for <laughs> But then diagnosed with bipolar disorder at age eight, going in and out of psychiatrist offices, like on a lot of different medications. And I love psychology and my background, like I have my undergrad in psychology and have hopes of going back to school and read all these books that talk about kind of like this era of like the 2000s where hundreds of children were being diagnosed with bipolar and being put on all these antipsychotics. That was a part of my story. What did that make you feel like? You know, for me, it was like a lot of just emotional regulation. And that's what my diagnosis like went into when I was 16 was emotional, severe mood dysregulation disorder. My con conception of now is just like feeling really big and not really knowing how to like deal with it. My dad was in the army and he was deployed so much. Like I didn't meet my dad until I was six months old and he did several deployments, 18 month deployments every other year until I was in middle school. So I think I, I, when I look back now, like, I just think I was angry and, yeah, you know, like just feeling big. And I feel like I identify with that now. How about at the gym? Like when you would be climbing, did anyone else know that you were struggling with mental health struggles or was that something that you kind of kept separate? Well, I think that's why I loved climbing so, so much is when I first started going to climbing, I just wanted an activity that was my own, right? Like all my siblings had their things. And my thing was going to hospitals and going to therapy a lot. Like that was my thing. I didn't like that thing very much, you know? When I found climbing, it was people stopped talking about everything else. And they started talking about how good I was at rock climbing, you know? And that was like a huge shift. And so my emotions kind of had a place in climbing a little bit more. My high highs were accepted and my low lows, like people get mad and climbing all the time, you know, like that's a part of it. But that it was also separate, like it was more like I was a climber. Climbing really does have those high highs and low lows. Were you able to hide behind climbing because of that? I mean, I don't know if it was exactly hiding, you know, I definitely was one of the more... I don't know, like, I don't want to say the word emotional, but definitely like, yeah, emotional kids on the team. I got a little bit more attention, you know, so I don't think it was something I ever like really hid behind until later on in my climbing career when like I'm doing more serious things where 
I have to keep my shit in order a little bit more. But I remember like growing up where it was like a part of it. And I felt like it was definitely one and one together. It didn't feel like one came before the other. And I remember I did an article. This was in Colleen, Texas is when I started climbing. I remember like there was always this like op-ed piece in the newspaper that was like centering on children who had fathers deployed. I got to be featured on one of rock climbing and it was like, what do you love most about rock climbing? I remember just explaining that like I love feeling I can be angry and I can be sad and I can, you know, just put it all out on the wall and then I can kind of let it dissipate. What is the community like with rock climbers? I just spent Indian Creek on Thanksgiving. Creeksgiving is, you know, a tradition as old as time. And this was the first Creeksgiving that Tom was not there. And being around my community was like really, really beautiful. I'm finding, oh, <laughs> like we lost Callie in March and then Tom died in June. And both of those communities are so tightly knitted. I feel like we all just clung to each other. That was the first time my whole climbing experience where I felt like really strong, tight-knit community where people were looking out for each other. We always say, I love you when we say goodbye. And we always say goodbye. Like we don't, I might not, you know, like we didn't say that to Callie, you know, and we thought we were gonna see her later. Callie is Megan's friend that passed away on March 17, 2020. Megan met her on a random backpacking trip she was guiding in Boulder, Colorado in 2019. We did that backpacking trip and I thought she was so cool. She cussed a lot and I was kind of intimidated by her. She was so loved by her community. And that was something that I didn't really understand at the time. Is like I was guiding in Boulder and didn't know anyone and made a lot of my like climbing connections over Mountain Project or Facebook, which were like some were like really harmful, just like yearning for community. And then I just like stumble into this group and see how much these people love each other and kind of hate each other and deal with each other, you know? So were you immediately involved in her friend group? Yeah, kind of. I That kind of happened. And then I kind of went back to like my guiding scene in Boulder. And then I reached out to her in, in Moab and we, we went climbing together and we climbed Sister Superior. We climbed Jawman, which is just a crazy experience because like Jawman's gone. I remember just walking in to Jawman and you go in from like River Road. And I remember her just telling me stories of like her community and yeah, it was just like one of the best days of climbing I had. That's what she did. She would like talk about all the adventures she went on. And I was so mesmerized by the fact that like she would talk about life and, and the struggles of life and all these things like while she was like approaching to climb. So it's like you like actually talk to your climbing partners. Do climbing people not usually have that much of a connection or talk to one another? I know that like usually one's up and one's down. So it, it's difficult. For me now, it's like a necessity. I don't want to climb with you unless I have a really strong connection. If I don't vibe with you, like I don't want to climb with you. Like it, life's too short. That's not how I used to think about it. It was about climbing. It was about how many days can I get on the rock and where can I like meet my goals this year. You were doing a lot of climbing expeditions the year before, but not finding like community. And then you met Callie mm -hmm. and she was kind of the beginning of opening up the potential of having like a climbing community. So I told her that I was training to take my advanced rock guide course. And for me, that was like a really big deal. Like I took my MJ rock guide course and I got the feedback that I was just not, not ready for the next course, but I wanted to get it. And so I tried it anyways. And they're like, oh, you're doing okay, but you need, need a lot of work. 
And she was so excited for me. I can picture her hiking into John Man and being like, Meg, whatever you need to do, like, I'll be wherever you need to go. I can like be your client. I can help you with your rock rescue drill. Like whatever you need, I'm your person to help. A good person. Yeah. And just having like her support. And at the time I was like, okay, cool. But then we like met in Redbox for a whole month training for my advanced rock guide course, which I just took a month ago. Gus came out and we climbed with Gus for a while. And, and Rob, like my now partner, came out and climbed with us. And I just remember like driving with Gus and Rob and me in the back and just being like, where am I? Like, oh my gosh, like I love these people so, so much. Like, how did this happen? Like it just happened all of a sudden. And I just was so like hook, line and sinker. She was also someone that felt so big on the wall. And I was kind of at a point, those things aren't allowed in climbing because you got to focus on the climbing. And like, I didn't really have this community where I was able to like talk about insecurities and vulnerabilities on the rock and also rock climb. And she did that no matter what. She was so good at feeling everything. Epinephrine is a really classic climb in at Red Rocks. And I'll always remember her literally like 1500 feet of chimneying and it's rarely protected, but really about like, you don't fall. And Callie, like she was having a hard time with the pitch and I didn't want to lead it, so I wasn't offering to. And she like whipped out of a chimney. Chimneys are not for whipping. Like she's just like ping-ponged down. And I remember she just got so angry and then just like fired the pitch. Like she just did it. And it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. She used her emotions to get up the wall. Yes, I'm feeling all this and I'm going to climb. And I had never seen that before. How are you climbing before watching Callie climb? I just had just such a horrible year with climbing partners and was just so goal-driven. Like, this is how it's done. Like, you don't, you don't think about those things about emotions or feeling all of what you might be feeling will not get you up the wall. You know, it will not lend itself to a vulnerable, like, positive climbing relationship. It's not yes and, it's, like, separate. And I definitely, like, would stunt that part and I kind of thrived a little bit that way. Totally. A lot of times you can like compartmentalize for so long and until they all of a sudden are the same thing, like your emotions are on top of the wall and you're just like reading it. And that's what it was like when Tom and Callie died. Like they can't be separated. There's no way I'm going to put this aside because it's too big. You can do it all just like Callie did. It was not how we saw it back then. I don't think a lot of people see it like that until something happens, when it becomes like more real. I don't wish trauma for anybody, but if I didn't have the trauma that I have experienced in my life, then I wouldn't be the person that I am now and who is like still fucking scared of everything. But I know that like because of it, I am aware of how short life is so much, you know, and I, I feel like I think about, I want to be the person that, the best version of myself as much as possible, you know, and I don't think I would have felt that if I hadn't gone through trauma, which is, yeah, really sad that that's true, but you don't know until you've experienced it. So Callie died on the Valdez Glacier on March 17th. She was putting up a first descent. They put up two routes, two pitches, and her partner repelled off the first pitch first. And then Callie waited the system and it failed and she fell to the ground. And her partner went to go get help and she was dead when they returned for her. 
so much messier than I had ever imagined it to be. Thinking of like Callie dying alone, like Callie like was there for everyone. And then she died alone on the glacier and she was awake when it happened, you know, and she died from like trauma. I've never experienced that before. And so I feel like after it's done, like you can't pretend like climbing, like this doesn't happen. And I feel like there's definitely like this like community of people that like, have experienced death in the climbing community and then those who don't, you know? And I feel like a very classic way that you know is when you, like, are talking about your grief and someone says, like, yeah, like, people die in climbing. Like, that is a very, like, really good way that I think that, like, people just, like, that isn't, like, if you've lost a friend in the mountains, like, you don't say that, you know, like, like, because you think of that one person, like, that one face, you know, like, that friend that you, like, shared all those pitches with, you know? Fuck, dude. I just like, I know we haven't even started talking about Tom and just like two deaths in a year, like of people that you've really trusted and loved. That's a lot. I was thinking about this podcast and I want to like just tie a nice bow on my grief and be able to like give this message and there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days, but like they will always be gone. We're always not going to be here. So like some days are going to be like really, really, really painful and not be okay. In the creek, it's like, Tom can't be here today. Like that sucks. Like he would have loved this pitch. So I'm going to climb this pitch and like have fun. And then there are days where like, I would like to not get out of bed today and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's really complicated, isn't it? Just the amount of emotions that come up, like, and they often feel contradictory towards one another. It's so much easier for me to feel the pain of others, but my own pain just feels just so deep sometimes that it makes me scared to feel it. Like, I don't want to feel it. I'd much rather feel like pain of other people. Is it pretty common for you to like dismiss kind of your own feelings to focus on the feelings of others? I grew up in like a really amazing home and like my mom worked so hard to make sure that I had like the resources available for me. But I'm definitely noticing like now as I like work through like losing two people, going through this grief as a partnership, like with my partner, Rob, is like a whole other thing that just comes with all of its baggage. And I realized like my dad served seven combat tours, active artillery, infantry tours. I can tell you like almost every single time that he left, like I know when he left, I know the exact spot that I would wait by the phone on Sundays. And I feel that in my partnership now, like Rob goes out climbing it's like my dad's leaving for a rock. March 17th, COVID was just getting bad and April was all of the shutdown. And, and I just remember like a lot of long walks on the golf course. I just had the hardest time like not putting myself in Callie's shoes in like the last moments of her life. April comes around and things are like not doing well, but like people are kind of getting a little bit more lax. And I just remember feeling so off. And we get home and I was in the bathroom and Rob was in the bedroom. I like come in and I see Rob on the phone and he's on the phone with our friend Curtis. And Curtis said like, there's been an accident. Tom and Curtis were climbing in Boulder Canyon at a really popular, just like simple sport climbing crag. And it was after like a long day of sport climbing and, you know, Tom's like going up a 5'9", which Tom and I have led like 5'11 on the diamond before. Like a 5'9 sport climb in Boulder Canyon is nothing for Tom. He was reaching up to clip the third bolt and 
we're not really sure. We think like his foot popped or something, but he fell while trying to clip and he hit the ground and hit his head without a helmet on. Curtis beelined it straight down the hill to the highway and was able to like flag down people. He flew away in a helicopter and we just like couldn't find him. Tom like never regained consciousness from the like time he hit his head to when he died. How did you know Tom? When I moved to Boulder, like he was like my first like buddy. You know, I talk about like my time in Boulder being really lonely, like who I had was Tom. Oh God. And Tom was like really straightforward kind of guy and kind of no beating around the bush with Tom. He was a geologist and really smart. But then he also like loved bubble baths and making pies for people. (laughs) Really quirky guy. And you could not be like Tom's climbing partner without being Tom's friend. Like, I have this funny story, like, we're going to climb the diamond, right? Um, and Long's Peak, which is like, you know, one of the, the greatest alpine adventures in North America. Like, it's just the best thing ever. It's like vertical crack climbing at 14,000 feet. Like, you can't not. It's like, okay, I'll be outside your door at four o'clock. And he's like, okay, 4 a.m., which is kind of a late start for the diamond anyways. I was outside his door at 4 a.m. And like, he wasn't there at all. And I remember like calling him and he comes to the door at like 4.15 And then he makes me this grand breakfast of quiche and like mochas and just like this like ridiculous thing. And I remember being like, Tom, like it's like 630, like we have to go alpine climbing right now. But Tom's like, oh, we'll get there. We'll get I feel like that's what makes shit so hard sometimes. Why? Like why? I know that's just like a part of life, but I don't like that part of life at all. Like I don't want people who deserve to be living forever to die like I can't I hate it that's the worst part of life I feel like yeah and that was like really hard from where we were Callie Callie was 23 and like gave everything for others she died alone that's not fair and that's kind of like you just like leave it at that I feel like that's why death is so confusing and even in the mental health field it's just like there's never a good enough explanation that's going to make you feel any better. Like, even when I think about my trauma, I'm like, when I get a flashback, I'm like, well, the flashback is because this, this, and this happened. And like, I can even like blame it on like a bad person. It's just so painful. It doesn't make sense. For me, it really helped to have these definitive statements. When Tom died, that's just what happens when you hit your head that hard. Like, for some reason, that just brought me like so much... Like, that is true. Like, it doesn't make any sense, and it, like, shouldn't be this way, and it's not fair, but that's just what happens when you hit your head that hard. Because it just didn't make any sense. And especially when you tie it in with climbing, like, everyone in our community was, like, not okay with climbing. Or, you know, people are, like, you know, my partner was, like, going even further in his climbing and doing even more dangerous climbs. And, and, like, there's just so much murky gray water in all of it. You found out about Tom... Did you go to the hospital? The next morning, the first thing on the docket was to try to find Tom's health insurance. He's just like such a private guy. This was a hard thing for the grieving process for everyone. Like everyone kind of had like their own Tom. And so we like went to his house and I remember like picking out like his favorite shirt, getting out his like clothes because he would want to wear his clothes home from the hospital. Feeling really weird in his house. Like, no, like just thinking about like all the memories we had in his house and And then we went to the hospital and it was really weird in the hospital because it was COVID. And so only one person could go and see Tom. You know, like the competitiveness with grief sometimes. Who's closer? 
Yeah. And how detrimental that can be, man, just like ranking yourself like, okay, I can feel less than that person and more than this person. And it was really hard to get away from it when literally we had to pick if Tom has seven days left, that means we get seven people in. On the first day, Rob went in first because he was the first person to go in. So in Colorado, medical decisions for that person is not like automatically given to family. It's chosen by a social worker to be the most appropriate person. Rob is like seeing Tom for the first time and a social worker comes in and says, okay, like when will you be removing life support? You can't focus on the fact that what's happening because you have to make all these decisions, which is like so fucked up when you're going through what you're going through. Yeah. And there was just so much to do. We didn't know if Tom had insurance. And so we had to make sure that we got all the things we needed to out of his house before they were repossessed. The climbing community, especially if there's an accident, like people want to know what happened. How do we learn from this? Like what went wrong? Everyone knew Tom. Like Tom was like so loved by the Boulder community. In the state of Colorado, if you don't have a written will saying, I would like this to happen if I cannot give consent myself. If you don't have that, you can't be helped to death. And so Tom couldn't say that he wanted to take, be taken off life support and he didn't have it written down in a will. And so how it's done is that they just remove everything and he has to die naturally. He hit the back of his head on his, like on the lower neck. And so he had severe damage to his brainstem, which is where we have our most human functioning. So he could breathe, but just a little bit. And he could control his heart rate, but just a little bit. What it looked like for him to remove life support was that he just like literally suffocated to death. And his mom was there. His partner was there. And I think for like my grief was like watching a partner of a climber go through losing her partner because I was very close to her. Like, Andrea called me like I was just trying to relax that morning and you know it was really just like taking it slow that week and she said like I need you down here they're going to remove it soon and I don't have anyone down here getting into the van driving down to the front range which is an hour drive from Estes Park and being like okay like I am like going to watch my friend die today and like being really like like not wanting to do it and but really like just wanting to be there for this like woman who was losing her partner and just like wanting to make sure that she had her support <sighs> that fucking sucks. How did you feel seeing Andrea? The nurses kept saying that hearing is the last thing to go and how it's really important to just like keep talking to them because they really do think that they're still there. When Andrea came in, you could see Tom's heart rate monitor skyrocket. He was there in some way. If there's anything there, you want to make sure that he knows that you're there for him. I played Duolingo with Tom a lot. Tom and Rob went to Patagonia together and Tom was like so passionate about adventuring in South America and was learning Spanish. And I did like Duolingo with Tom, which is just insane because like half of his skull is missing. Connection, right? Like, were you kind of just in survival mode for that week? I feel like I've really dived deep into the nervous system and like learning about like working through trauma and then I really wish I kind of like had the information of moving my body throughout that whole week going outside and literally like shaking it off because that's not what I did you want okay you want something funny Do it. I mean I'm here for all of it <laughs> we stole the ICU ottoman yes do you still have it <laughs> yeah it's in our yeah, living room right now you're like there's cops downstairs and I remember just being like I'm invincible right now. Like, <laughs> nothing can touch me. There's, like, nothing as bad as this. So, like, let's just do it. I mean, but I get it, though, because you're just, like, trying to cope with 
the reality. Like coping with that is just, it's too much. And it was like this moment of just like laughing in the middle of like our friend dying. Tom's Ottoman. Tom's Ottoman. So had you climbed at all? Yeah, I did climb. What was your relationship with climbing like? And at first, I feel like I climbed just because I was afraid if I stopped, then I would never do it again. If I don't do it, then like I would just lose it. And I was really scared of that fact. Like I literally drove from the hospital to El Dorado Canyon and like like went climbing even before Tom died when he was in the hospital. I didn't realize that. So you kind of used climbing also as a way and form of grieving too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One in the same. It was hard because I was training for my advanced rock guide course and I was a rock guide, you know? So it was my career and my like passion. And then it was also the thing that I was the most angry at. I felt so betrayed by climbing for the longest time. This is the thing that has brought me joy my whole life. And it was an identity thing, right? I have been a climber my whole life. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't think I want to be a climber anymore. Like, if this is what this means, like, if this is what this looks like, I don't know if I want it. That was its whole own, like, crisis. So complicated. Do you still feel like you have that relationship with climbing where it's just hot or cold kind of feelings? I'm in a better spot now. I've passed my rock guide course. I have my season over. The first thing I did when I found, like, finished my course was just, like, sob. Like, it's like, okay. Like, it was its own passage to grief that I like wasn't able to access until like I was able to do my like responsibilities you know there was definitely a part of me that was like I have to rock climb because I have to like do my work you know like I have to like this is my way of life and then when I was finally over it was like like I can finally breathe like I can like I can only climb when I want to and I don't have to if I don't want to and that was like not something that I had access to as much you know, and I could make that choice, right? Like I could say, I don't want to do my course and I'm going to take the season off of guiding. And that's what I did is I did a lot of outdoor education work. So like, I definitely like had little breaks. I know people die doing things all the time that I've done, but I can't help but think that if someone I knew died climbing, I don't know, I'd be really, really scared to try it again. Or like have flashbacks that intrude my climbing experience. So was that a healthy decision for you? Did you feel really good about that decision for yourself? I had a lot of like amazing resources. I got connected to the Climbing Grief Fund and that helps climbers work through losing people in that in the industry of like, you know, skiing and climbing usually. I also worked for an amazing guiding service called Women's Wilderness. That was like huge for me. I remember the first day that I showed up in climbing, it can be kind of like you know, put your feelings aside and just rock climb and the guiding industry can be like all that and more. But for women's wilderness, like I said, the first day, like I am grieving, like I am just in like the throes of this. I'm scared to like lead this trip this week. And I was just like met with so much love. And we even do trainings on like trauma and grief for the company. And we did this really cool one on the art of pushing through. And it completely opened up my eyes on like, what it means to like push through. And I feel like that's really common in climbing and maybe just like all outdoor sports. You're scared. Oh, just like keep going. You know, like, oh, you don't want to be here. Just forget about that. Just push through, rub some dirt on it. Our nervous system. And that is not backed in science. (laughs) 
So what do you do with it, though? Instead of pushing through, like, how do you handle the fear? For me, it was like recognizing like what was going on. My vision would just like completely blur out sometimes or my heart rate would go like through the roof talking about like real risk versus like perceived risk. Right. And how my body has associated, you know, the third bolt with like real, real risk. And then I, my body like responds to that risk and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't see the real or perceived. Right. I think it was like a balance of sometimes backing down when I had the choice. And that is huge. Humbling yourself to be able to be like, this is not the time. And especially when you're like, I can climb five, nine, like I can do this. I can, I can do this pitch, but being like, that's not what this is about. Like everyone knows, you know, yourself knows, like you can climb this. There's something bigger happening here. Being able to like be okay with backing off was huge. When you can't back down doing like breathing techniques and, you know, trying to like activating like that frontal cortex, right? Rationalize what's happening here. Like, okay, I'm safe. And during my course, you know, you have to climb at a certain limit on like big roots. And I had not climbed that way, like since both Tom and Kelly died. And I was like, there's no way. And I remember I worked on like a mantra, like I am safe because I'm skilled. My skill can get me through this. Like I'm safe here. I would sit one foot up and say, I'm safe. And I'd put another foot up and say, I'm skilled, you know? I feel like that's so helpful though. Cause that's the difference, right? Like not ignoring the fact that you're scared or not ignoring the fact that you're fearful or not ignoring your anxiety and just addressing it. Even just being kind to yourself and being like, I can't turn that on right now. I can't like think through this. The emotions are too much. Maybe I need to come down. And I wonder how often, like, especially like in the outdoor community, and I I feel like so many people in the outdoor industry who are especially athletes, how many times I've told myself that what I'm feeling is actually not that big of a deal, even if it is a big deal, because I've been told just to lie to yourself to get through it. Part of the reason why I've done a lot of the shit I've done is because I did push through that. I also know that that's probably when I've gotten the most injured. I get exhausted emotionally by it. I feel like I noticed that a lot of, especially in the outdoor community with any kind of adrenaline sport, push through the fear, push through the anxiety, and then good luck, hope nothing bad happens. A mantra for me recently has been like, I want a new way forward. How can I experience these really incredible objectives and feats done in this sport? And then while also doing it in a way that is right for me, that's like such a different path for everyone. Dependent on the person, what they've gone through that year, if they get more easily triggered than like other people, like what their neural pathways are like. I just recently found out that I have a few chemical imbalances and I'm just now getting medicated about it. It's been really, really, really good for me. But one of the things that I'm learning is just like when I feel anxious to just literally just stop what I'm doing for like two minutes and just like sit back and just breathe and just ground myself. Because I grew up like you work through the hard things no matter what. You put your feelings aside. Yes, like there are things to do and I have these big emotions as well. So how did your relationship with climbing and also your climbing friendships change from when Tom died to like where you're at now? I just saw this quote today that I really, really like, Glennon Doyle, but it was about like my fear instead of feeling it all is missing it all. Like instead of like fearing of feeling it, like that's not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of like missing what's going on right now what's happening in my community with the grief that we're all feeling like, I don't want to miss this. I want to feel 
I don't want to run away from that feeling that like I'm putting like the people I love and like at risk emotionally from my climbing experience. Like I want to like, I want to stay in that. I sent you photos of my niece that like I have a really incredible relationship with. But like, what does it look like for me? Talk to her about the risk I take in climbing. Cause like, I can't assume I'm not going to die because that's not realistic. And that's how it's different now. These horrible things can happen and they can happen tomorrow and they can happen today. And what conversations are we having about risk and how we talk to loved ones about this? And like, like really asking like myself, like, am I okay with this risk? Like, am I okay with, like, if I climb today, like that means that I'm accepting that, like, I might not come home. Like, am I all right with that? In the moment, evaluating the risk too, like maybe today you don't feel like you want to take a risk. So maybe you just come down from the wall. You express that to your climbing partner. Like, I don't feel comfortable today. I don't know what it is. Something's happening in my body. But it's just so hard because to be able to be that aware of your own emotions and like what you're feeling, it takes so much fucking work to get there. And it's not encouraged in the outdoor community. Why do you think it's so hard for people to miss what's happening? think climbing is so beautiful because like you get to experience like really really high highs but then you also get to experience like really really low lows people have been talking about how this creates the climbing experiences that you know people have been having for decades like it's there the climbing partnerships i have now like they are those we can just talk about like man i am like really thinking about tom right now and we can like talk about all those things and i want like the people that i love to be not missing it and then for me to not be missing it and for us to like engage in those conversations like all the time with just anybody who we've loved who's past normalized just talking about them when whenever you just f- fucking need to talk about them i feel like some people get really uncomfortable about asking about death and I understand why it's really complicated and it doesn't feel good to talk about. But the reality of death is that they're gone, but not ever, you know, because they're in our hearts. And I I just I want to encourage people to ask others if they've gone through some loss this year, like, please ask how they're actually feeling about it and ask specific questions. Tell me who they're what they were like. My experience, I wanted to talk about Tom, you know, having friends that kind of shy away from the topic or kind of want to like place like a little bow on it and like, oh, people like people die in climbing. I'm sorry. I don't know. Like, can I tell you about Tom? Can I just tell you like how we did this exact hike last summer and how much fun it was, you know, like normalizing talking about it. Death is like everywhere and it's a part of like all of our lives at one point or another. Being able to just openly talk about it was probably like the most important thing for me. Because it doesn't have to be just like talking about the actual incident of the person leaving this earth. That's why memories mean things. That's why we take fucking photos is to Mm -hmm. look at that picture for a while and just think about that picture and what that moment Mm -hmm. felt like. So why can't we just talk about it more? And I mean, I keep shaming the outdoor community because it's so fucking competitive and annoying that like you're just always trying to be better. And I love goals and I'm very goal oriented and I need goals. But like also like part of the reason why I don't connect with people is like I need someone to be okay with the fact that I may not be okay at a very random point. And that needs to be accepted. On this belay ledge, I would like to just cry. And then maybe the next belay ledge, it will be different. But maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. 
feeling like you find that tribe. I feel like that has been something that's been like huge. Okay, like I can cry on this belay ledge, you know, or I can I can talk about Tom on this belay ledge and and not just put it down because that doesn't that's never going to work. Well, there's like that form of connection with other people when you can connect about your loss too. Like it is a trauma bonding and it can be really really helpful because they know what you're feeling too. To not feel alone in loss is really, really powerful. And I think that's something that we can all kind of feel this year. Like, it like makes me really sad, like how much loss like people have really experienced this year. Like people have lost everything, everything this year. This year has been terrible for that. Like, fuck this year for how much death has happened and the amount of relationships I know that have gone through breakups. So many people I know have gone through like so much loss. I just want to encourage folks to just like actually feel the fact, the impact of what this year has done to us. Like it's not been fucking easy. Like it's been fucking terrible for so many people that I love. But instead of like pushing it away and be like, fuck 2020, like what if we just fucking talked about how fucking terrible it's been? And like, guess what in 2021 we're gonna still be grieving this year like you're so right you can't just tie a bow on it once it's over like i just hope that we can just normalize talking about all of it yeah like it happened like you can't take it back the new year bell won't erase it one of the questions i had for you was In order to be a good climber, it sounds like you have to kind of escape into that reality because you have to focus. But is it hard to turn that part of your brain off when you get out of climbing? When like you finish the climb and you know, you're done. That's, I honestly think that's why people talk about climbing when they're not climbing. They're not walking away from the climb, you know, saying like, okay, like that was a good day. They talk about their past climate experiences and gear. Like, let's talk about cams for the billionth time in a row. And when Tom died and Callie died, it was like, none of this matters. I remember like having these really deep conversations, like right after Tom's death, what does climbing mean to you now? And I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like Tom's dead. Like his mom's grieving. Like this doesn't matter. Like climbing does not matter. And I think that like really forced everything into perspective. Getting to the top is not really the point here creating connections and like living this life that you value, you know. And you can be a good climber and value life and be able to not just escape. Life is all about balance. And when we put all of our eggs in one basket, we miss out on a lot of things that are going on. The CGF, the Climbing Refund, like has all these incredible resources where they interview people that have gone through losing someone. I am so grateful that I had that resource, just hearing other people talk about their grief and this understanding of climbing that you once had that was maybe not as mature as one after death. Once you've entered that, then like you can't go back. What advice would you give to people who have experienced loss this year? What do you wish you knew or had? What do you think you needed? when Tom died that you wish to give to other people who've experienced loss this year? I'm really loving this not missing it mentality. Missing it is worse than feeling it. I was just talking to my therapist about the graph. 
and how we always want it to be linear. Today, I'm going to feel this way, and then tomorrow will just be a little bit better, hopefully. And it does not look like that. It's up and down, and there's gonna be good days, and there's gonna be bad days. Feeling it all is better than missing it. But then when you zoom out of that graph, it actually kind of does resemble like an upward motion. They're never not going to be dead right? Like that's never not going to be the case. If you want to get better, you got to work really hard for it. You could stay low. Like that sounds really depressing, but it's not going to change. Like Tom's like never going to be here again. And that like just saying that right now is just not okay. But like, like, okay, like that's the truth. So, so I got to work for it, you know, cause it's not going to just change on its own. And I think like feeling it all like is a part of that too. How has working and like feeling it what has that done to you, just the way that you feel about yourself? Oh, I feel stronger. I do feel like a little bit of pride. Like, I can feel it all. Especially with your childhood, when you've been shamed for so long, how you experience things. That was kind of like my diagnosis was that I just was feeling too much. That is my greatest strength now. That's what's going to get me through this. I love that you just said that. Sometimes it's really fucking hard to feel things, though. Especially, like, at first, when you first lose someone, like, it's just so overwhelming. And Like, when is this feeling going to be over? Will I ever not think about them? And then you just keep grieving and, like, crying and processing it. And then maybe you think about them, but it's, like, a warm memory. And then you do something positive on their behalf. And that's, like, a really cool, like, empowering feeling, too. To do things in the memory of people is, like... It's really powerful, <laughs> you know, and it's such a cool feeling because you just feel their spirit inside of you. This episode is dedicated to Callianne Rittman and Tom Wright, and of course to you, Megan. You are such a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for sharing your beautiful time together with those two, and thank you for sharing the complicated space that grief holds. That's the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, be sure to check out our Patreon for the 21-day Advent calendar, sharing different journal prompts to grieve 2020 together as we prepare for a new year. You can find that, bonus episodes, and way more at www.patreon.com slash We'll see you in a couple weeks, so in the meantime, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. It's a fast free way to support the show, and it truly does make a difference in helping other people find us. And if you're wanting to interact with more of this amazing community, make sure you find me on social media. We're on Instagram at Underneath It All Pod and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support, which you can find by searching Underneath It All Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at underscore Grizel underscore for Mental Health Mondays, where I talk about the balance of my personal life and mental health. And you'll see a lot of dogs. Intro music is created by a two-person band, which includes myself. You can find our music on Spotify by searching Passiflora. Love you guys. Bye.